0: Uh, Today is May 1st, it's the beginning of May, regardless of what the weather says, it's May. Uh, May is the month of celebration, Uh, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, Uh, May is full of graduations. And for TFRC, May is the month we welcome new members and celebrate with baptisms. Uh, But before we get onto all of that, it's a good idea to stop and celebrate the goodness of God, Uh, Many of us are celebrating this month for different reasons. uh, And so let's recognize where all we celebrate, where all that comes from. There is a fundamental reality that is pivotal for our faith. It's a reality that when I say it, all of us would nod our heads in agreement with. And that reality is, God is good. God is good. That's fundamental. And even though it's fundamental, I'm not sure we always believe it. At least, not to the extent that it is true. The goodness of God goes way beyond our understanding. The Apostle Paul was aware of this. And the Spirit of God moved Paul to write to the believers in Ephesus, imploring them, to grasp the fullness of God's love and goodness. And Paul understood that if the church failed to hold on to this basic truth that God is good, it would endanger the entire faith. Our scripture for this morning is Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 to 21. Ephesians is about halfway through the New Testament, so you can turn there in your Bibles. Um, you can also look it up on your phones if you would like. And uh, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a major city in the Roman Empire in the first century. And in addition to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John also did ministry in that city. In fact, according to church tradition, uh, the Apostle John took Mary, the mother of Jesus, to Ephesus with him. So it's an important city for the early church. Our scripture reader this morning is Kevin Stellingworth. And so Kevin, go ahead and make your way on up to the podium. As he does, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. We read from the center of the room to remind us that Scripture is central to our faith, and we stand because we believe that this is the Word of God. And so Kevin, whenever you are ready, please read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21.
1: For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen.
0: Kevin, thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, As a kid, one story from the Brothers Grimm that I liked was Rumpelstiltskin. Now, Brothers Grimm, they're known for stories like Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and Little Red Riding Hood. Um, I, In addition to those, I really enjoyed Rumpelstiltskin. Anyone familiar with the story Rumpelstiltskin? Okay, uh, many of you. Now, Rumpelstiltskin is about a man who bragged to the king that his daughter could spin straw into gold. And so then the king takes his daughter locks her in a room full of straw and a spinning wheel, and commands her to spin that straw into gold by morning, or she will die. Thanks a lot, Dad. Okay, so after the king leaves, she begins to cry because her father had lied. She can't spin straw into gold. Eventually, an imp appears and offers to do it for her in exchange for her necklace. She quickly agrees. The king comes in the next morning, finds the straw spun into gold, um, and then he decides to command her to do it again the next night. So again, the next night comes, and the imp comes, and he um, spins the straw into gold for her in exchange for her ring. And then the king comes in the next morning, finds the straw spin into gold again, and he commands her to do it again a third night and promises to marry her if she does. So then the imp comes again, but she has nothing left to trade. And so he asks for her firstborn uh, child in exchange, and she hesitantly agrees. So the king marries her, they eventually have a son, the imp comes to collect his payment and she protests. And the imp agrees to give up his claim if she can guess his name in three days. So after two days, she wanders deep into the woods uh, to try to find the imp because she's unsuccessfully been able to guess it in those first two days. She overhears him singing and in the song he reveals his name, Rumpelstiltskin, which she then tells him the next day. Now what fascinated me about this story was the idea of turning straw into gold. What if you could spin straw into gold? What if you could turn straw into gold? Seriously, just let's, let's think this through a little bit. What if you had that ability? What would you do? Now, I've got a plan, okay? Here's my plan. First of all, I would buy an old abandoned mine, okay? So that I would have a cover story for where all this gold is coming from. Because it would be suspicious if all of a sudden I just have all this gold showing up day after day after day. You need a cover story. So I would buy an old abandoned mine. That's my cover story for where the gold is coming from. Then I would start buying straw to turn into gold. I would eventually buy land and hire people to grow straw for me. And then as the money started coming in, I would begin to di- diversify my investments. So I would sell the gold and invest the money in stocks, bonds, etc. Maybe I'd even buy Twitter, that kind of stuff. Um, I would also find strategic ways to be generous. I would pay off the new church building, give to the mustard seed and all of our other missions. I would help worthy candidates with their education. I would give away more because I would have more. I could always make more gold, so I would never have to worry about running out of money. I could be as generous as I wanted to be. Paul is talking about God's glorious riches, which are infinite. They are without limit. And he wants us to know and understand them. God's riches are unfathomable. Paul wants us to know the unknowable. And in knowing the unknowable, first of all, this isn't just some idle thought exercise for Paul. This really matters to Paul. As it says in verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Paul kneels before the Father in prayer. Now, for us, the idea of kneeling in prayer is relatively normal. In Scripture, kneeling Expresses deep emotion and earnestness. Kneeling is done at moments of great importance. King Solomon knelt when he dedicated the temple. Jesus knelt as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Stephen knelt at the time of his martyrdom. Peter knelt at the bed of the dead girl Dorcas when he asked God to resurrect her. Paul kneels when he says his final goodbyes to the elders at Ephesus. When Paul kneels before the Father, it tells us this is a matter of great importance. What he is about to pray for is vital for our faith. He wants us to understand and experience something that is beyond our grasp, to know the unknowable. I would argue that one of the main reasons when we struggle with our faith, why we, do, why we struggle when we struggle, is that we haven't grasped what Paul is about to pray for us to grasp. We do not get that God has unlimited resources. We do not get that God is unlimited in his generosity and love. We do not get the abundant mercy of God. We think often that God is quick to remove His mercy and grace from us. We don't understand that God never removes His mercy and grace from us. We are limited, finite beings. So we are limited in our love. We are limited in our forgiveness. We are limited in our generosity and we project those limitations onto God. We don't love unconditionally, so we assume God doesn't either. We are limited in our generosity, so we assume God is too. We are limited in our mercy, so we think God is limited in His. We are limited finite beings. God is not. For Paul, it is vital to our faith to both understand and experience the unlimited, infinite God of the universe. And he begins with making references to his ultimate unlimited resources. The God of the universe has unlimited resources. Everything that exists comes from those resources. As it says in verses 15 and 16 From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner. Being. From God, every family derives its name. So think about your family tree. Think about your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. Think about your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. Your family tree comes from God. However many generations are in your family tree, they all come from God. And that is not just true for your family. That is true for every family line in the whole world throughout all of time. Billions of people from millions of family lines over thousands of years. The existence of them all comes from the unlimited resources of God. Paul mentions God's glorious riches and he isn't talking strictly about monetary riches or material gain. He's talking about God giving us strength and power through His Spirit So that from our inner being, we can follow Christ as God has called us to follow. His resources are unlimited. They are infinite. Now, when I think of infinite, when that word infinite comes to mind, my mind goes to math. Because we all love math, don't we? Right? We're all math fans in here. Um, Okay, I know we're all not. But have you ever tried to see how high you could count. Now, I never really had the patience for this. So, you know, I got to about 150. I'm like, this is dumb. I don't want to do this anymore. But if you've ever tried to count as high as you possibly could, you know, you probably did something like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and just kept going. Now, have you seen or do you remember this from your math lessons? This picture here. You remember that? Some of you are having a little post-traumatic stress. It's okay. There is not going to be a test. I will tell you what this is. This is a line graph, and it represents infinity because the arrows on each end mean the line goes on forever. If you try to count to infinity by going 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, you are not doing it right. Right? because that is just counting one way on the number line. If you're gonna count to infinity, or at least try to, you gotta count both ways. One, negative one, two, negative two, three, negative three, four, negative four, five, negative five. Also, by the way, you are only counting whole numbers when you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Those are only whole numbers. In between the numbers 1 and 2 are numbers like 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, 1.5. In between the numbers negative 1 and negative 2 are negative 1.1, negative 1.2, negative 1.3, negative 1.4, negative 1.5. In fact, you have an infinite amount of numbers just between 0 and 1. You could spend your whole life counting numbers and never even get to the number one. That's infinite. So, you know, try doing that and get to the number million and see how you do, okay? God's riches are infinite like the numbers on a number line. You cannot count them. You cannot measure them. You really can't even imagine them. So when we think of God as the source of every family tree, and we think about billions of people and millions of family trees over thousands of years, that's not even a drop in the bucket of God's resources. Paul asks God to strengthen us in our inmost being with power out of his glorious riches. It's not even a drop in the bucket of what God can do. Paul wants us to know and experience the glorious riches of God Our faith depends on it. Now, we all know plenty of wealthy people who are very generous. We also know of some wealthy people who are not generous. They may have millions, but they're still stingy. So we may say, well, it's great that God has unlimited resources. That doesn't mean he's going to share them with us. And that's what Paul addresses next. Because he talks about God's unending generosity. Going to verse 17 in the passage. to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, when I read words like wide and long and high and deep, my mind immediately goes to God's creation. And Romans 1 says that God's invisible qualities, His power and divine nature can be clearly seen in his creation. So think of God's creation and what in God's creation do you think of when you hear wide, long, high, deep? For where we find ourselves, what part of creation do you think of? Wide, long, high, and deep. What do you think of? Is it this? Anyone think of that? It really doesn't matter how many times I see the canyon. When I stop and look, I'm always amazed by it. When I walk the canyon trail to the evil Knievel jump site, right before you get to the site, you are walking parallel to the canyon. There's a fence there. And when I go up to the fence and look, it's a marvelous view of the canyon. And from that spot, I can feel the immensity of it. What kind of power... And patience and precision did it take to make that canyon. And Paul says in Romans, you can see God's divine nature in creation. You can see God's divine nature in the canyon. How wide is that canyon? How long is that canyon? How high and deep is that canyon? And if this is a picture of God's love, how generous will God be to us in sharing out his glorious riches? Now this picture is really just a picture of a drop in the bucket of the love of God. It doesn't even come close to capturing it. Let's look at another picture from creation. How wide and long and deep is the ocean? The power of the ocean. Even just walking a few yards into the ocean, you can feel its power. The power of the current. The waves, the waves, they never stop coming. There have been times when I've stood at the shore of the ocean and I've just watched the waves come in. And you see a wave rise up and crash into the shore and just as that one is crashing to the shore, another one is rising over and over and over again. Up and down every inch, every mile of ocean shoreline in the entire world are these waves that never stop coming and coming and coming. It's a picture of God's love that surpasses knowledge. You want a picture of God's love and generosity? God's love and generosity is like those waves. They just keep coming and coming and coming, coming with power, the power to be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Now, if you were here last week when Brandon Craig spoke, did you catch what he said about God's anger in the parable of the banquet? He was talking about the master of the banquet, that parable, and how the master of the banquet invited people to come, and they didn't come, and the master got angry, and so he invited others to his banquet. And Brandon observed, when God gets angry, He finds another way to be merciful. God's love and grace and mercy are not contingent on our obedience. God's love and grace and mercy just keeps coming. Wave after wave after wave. As it says in Romans 8, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Sometimes we think that when things go bad, God is punishing us. Now look, God is not mocked. He's the God of justice. But his love and grace and mercy are not contingent on our obedience. What Paul is urging us to do is to grasp how glorious God's riches are, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep His love is for us. Because whether we realize it or not, we've needed His love and grace and mercy in the past, and we're going to need it in the future. You know, I officiated a wedding yesterday, yesterday at 4 p.m., it was an outside wedding. Remember the weather yesterday at 4 (laughs) p.m.? It was windy. It was beginning to rain. Now, the couple had set up a tent for the reception, and we had planned, uh, even at the rehearsal the day before, that the tent will be our backup in case of weather. But the, you know, so 4 o'clock's approaching. The clouds are, it's all cloudy. The wind's beginning to kick up. It's beginning to drizzle just a little. And now it's time to decide if we're going to use the tent or not. Now, the couple had envisioned an outdoor wedding. And so the multiple times that I went up to look up at the sky, you know, I just prayed to God. I said, Lord, just let the weather cooperate so they can have their outdoor wedding. Yes, we've got this tent. It will be fine. But they envisioned an outdoor wedding. And I looked up at the sky And I saw the sun shining behind the clouds. It didn't break through the clouds, but I could see the outline of the sun through the clouds. And I'm not overly into signs and that kind of stuff, Um, but when I was asked if we should go ahead with the outdoor wedding, because there were a couple of us who were trying to make this decision, I just said, you know, let's do it. Let's see what happens. Not knowing what was gonna happen. (laughs) It all worked out. Didn't rain. For the most part, wind really wasn't a factor. The wind actually died down a little bit. No, it wasn't the beautiful sunny day that they originally planned on, but it was still a beautiful setting for their wedding. And later, I'm walking back to my car, thanking God for letting them have their outdoor wedding, and then I kind of realized where I was, knowing what I was going to be sharing with you in illustration. Um, their outdoor wedding was held in the canyon. And in this little way, I was reminded of how high the love of God is for us, even for something as simple as an outdoor wedding on a cloudy day. Regardless of what happens in the future, God's mercy will be there for us. It doesn't mean that everything that happens to us in the future is going to be pleasant. There is going to be tragedy but God's mercy will be there for us in the tragedy. And will we realize and understand it and experience it for what it is? Or will we miss it? God's mercy is coming for you. It's rising up to crash upon you. And when it does, there's gonna be another wave of mercy rising. Our faith in God needs to be strengthened in our inmost being by this truth. Do we grasp the love of God and his glorious riches? And we've all had times in our lives when we take God's love and generosity for granted. We all do that. But we would be fools if that was our standard response to God's goodness, a proper response to such love and generosity is undivided devotion. Going back to the passage one more time. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. God is the one who can do more than we can ask or imagine. Think about that for a second. What can you imagine? I bet you can imagine a lot, God can do more than we can ever imagine. Make no mistake, God doesn't do everything for us. God has created us to work and to think and to problem solve and to be creative, so we don't just sit back and do nothing with the blessings God gives but we have to understand that our ability to work and think and problem solve and be creative, those abilities in and of themselves are part of God's blessings to us. So it's good to celebrate accomplishments, but let us never forget where we come from where our existence and talents and resources and people in our lives, they all come from God's glorious riches, which he generously gives out of his love. To him be glory throughout every generation. Being devoted to God means we give ourselves to him. We came from God, so giving ourselves to him is a little bit like going home. Many of us have moved away from where we grew up. I'm from a couple places, Wisconsin and Southern California. And when I go back to those places, even though those places have dramatically changed, it still feels very familiar because it's where I'm from. When we acknowledge who God is and devote ourselves to him, it's like going back home because we're going back to the one who created us in the first place, who continues to bless us So we come to him and acknowledge who he is, what he does for us, and pledge our allegiance to him. When we come back to him, we come back to him because it's where we belong. Worshiping the one who is beyond what we can even imagine. The one who is raising up another wave of mercy. Please pray with me. And Lord, we echo Paul's prayer that your spirit would come to our inmost beings. And Lord, help us grasp how wide and long and deep and high is your love for us. Lord, help us see it. Help us experience it. Help us to rely on your blessings. And Lord, we thank you for who you are. For you are the one who can do more than we can even imagine. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. And receive yet another blessing from God. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.